Hi everyone, welcome to the Viva podcast and today we're going to be, we're starting a new series on the book of Joel and to kick us off, I think Andy's going to pray for us. Mm. God, we just thank you that, yeah, wherever we are, wherever we're listening now, you're with us. And God, just help us in the midst of whether it's a commute or washing up or exercise or something, whatever we're doing, God, help us now just to hear with our ears, yes, but, yeah, really hear with our hearts what you're saying, God. All oh, this is just fluff and not much um, unless your spirit comes and speaks to us. So, God, we just open our hearts to you and just welcome you as our Lord and as our Father to come and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is exciting, isn't it? We've been waiting for this series for a little while and it's a series that is going to take us right up to Pentecost. And so we're going to start today with the question, does God want us to be happy? Mm, and we're going to take quite a, um, I guess, a, a non-surface look at that question. Uh, we're wanting to actually really, down to the, the depths of it, what does it really mean for us to be happy and what does God really want for us? Yeah. So with that question in mind, Sarah is going to start by reading a good chunk of Joel. Now, spoke on Sunday about taking time this week yourself to have a read. So you may have read uh, some of Joel already. But in this first talk, we're actually going to go from Joel chapter 1, verse 1, right through to chapter 2, verse 17. So we're reading from the NRSV translation. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all you wine drinkers, over the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has invaded my land, powerful and innumerable. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and splintered my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches have turned white. Lament like a virgin dressed in sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are devastated. The ground mourns. For the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil fails. Be dismayed, you farmers. 
Wail, you vine dressers, over the wheat and the barley, for the crops of the field are ruined. The vine withers, the fig tree droops, pomegranate, palm and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely joy withers away among the people. Put on sackcloth and lament, you priests. Wail, you ministers of the altar. Come, pass the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. Grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are ruined because the grain has failed. How the animals groan, the herds of cattle wander about because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep are dazed. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and flames have burned all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals cry to you because the watercourses are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame burns. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, but after them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, and like war horses they charge. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. Each keeps to its own course, they do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another, each keeps to its own track. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord uttered his voice at the head of his army. How vast is his host. Numberless are those who obey his command. Truly the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed. Who can endure it? Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. 
Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, Where is their God? All right, so a long read. Yeah. And full of force, yeah. Um, Listening to that passage again, and thinking about that passage um, some of those images, I think that the absolute destruction that is described in those passages, I think people, whether they're, they're people of Lismore, people of Mariupol, people of Florence a couple of years ago with the um, pandemic, I think they were images that those people, those populations could deeply resonate with. Mm, just uh, everything destroyed. Everything destroyed. And so that's what we're... That's what Joel's describing um, at the start there. Um, so we've got our question. Does God want us to be happy? Uh, it's a big question. And somehow we think that this particular passage in Joel really speaks into that. Um, someone who is very familiar with this or was very familiar with this with suffering um, was a guy called C.S. Lewis. And out of the suffering that he experienced, he wrote a whole bunch of reflections uh, in a book called The Problem of Pain, where he was trying to really get to the depths of those questions which sit in our lives, right? Why does God allow suffering? Why has this suffering come to me? Where's this, where's this from and what's the purpose? And Is there a purpose? And is there a purpose? Mm. Yeah. In terms of our happiness, we come back to our happiness. The Bible asserts that we're made... God cares deeply about our happiness and that we as people find our happiness ultimately in God, right? Mm. Yeah. And the, the, the tension in that is that we live in a culture and indeed Lewis would say that um, the human spirit is basically, it drives towards independence and self-determination. And we see within our culture like that freedom as a value is like, super elevated right and it's kind of how we would define freedom i think as a culture is it's independence and self-determination right Mm. i mean i think Um, if we're honest we're all probably trying to find our happiness anywhere but god and so there's a question then isn't there if that's the case if our default is not god anything but god and yet our happiness lies in a place of dependence and surrender to god how does God in his great love for us move us from that place of independence and self-determination to surrender and reliance? What tools does he use? Basically, Lewis says that when things are going along well, we're going to ignore God. He says God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Mm. And that's certainly what we see happening in the passage that we just read, isn't it? I mean, there's a, a long, long descriptions of the pain that the people were going through. Yeah. Well, the pain that the land was going through. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because 
does I think there's a question, does Joel agree what we've read in Joel? Does that actually agree with what Lewis says? And I would argue that it might not entirely. Because Lewis is insisting mm. that if pain comes into our lives, we'll attend to it. But what we find in Joel, interestingly enough, is the first, uh, the first instance when Joel, who's been given this message from God, actually starts speaking to the people. First way he speaks to them is, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. So there's something about the state of the people. So he's, he, in terms of the narrative, it seems that this locust plague is happening. There's devastation happening. Mm. But people are looking at the devastation and somehow the devastation isn't getting through to their hearts. It's happening around them. Mm. But they've grabbed for the bottle having a, and just getting drunk. And so the impact of that, it hasn't, it hasn't shattered their lives. They've actually been able to stem, like stave off that shattering by turning to an alternative. Right. So they've sort of anesthetized the pain they've anesthetized rather than the pain. actually letting the pain have some sort of impact on them. Yeah. Cause Lewis says that pain basically shatters two illusions that one, that all is well. And two, that what we have is ours and enough for us. So it shatters two illusions. One, we, that all is well. And two, that what we have is ours and is enough for us. That's what Lewis says pain will do. It'll shatter that illusion in our lives. Mm-hmm. And yet what we have in Joel is there's this disaster, unbelievable, like catastrophic societal economic disaster. I mean, this is what he's describing is like house prices, like dropping like 90%. Some people, Some people would say that's cheer. great. That's great. <laughs> but it, it's like investments are blowing up. Businesses are crashing. Like it's, it's it, because, yeah. because it's an agrarian society, locusts have just are destroying mm. all means of productivity. Left. There's nothing left, right? Mm. So you've got this devast- catastrophic devastation. But and yet are people are numb it. to it. Mm. It's like this, it's, it's, and we've seen this like with the pandemic, so I'll just change the channel. Mm. I'm numb to it. Um, and well, I so, think we can all relate to that, don't we? We all have our anesthetic of choice when it yeah. comes to pain, our escape, our distraction, our whatever it is. It might That's be right. alcohol. It might be something something else. Yeah, so I think what... Joel is saying that pain isn't enough, actually, sometimes. Okay. So what is enough, then? It's pain plus profit. Profit with a P-H-E-T. So. Okay. Yes. Pain plus plus God's God's voice speaking into Mm. that, which is God's megaphone to wake us up. Mm. Um, So that's what we see in Joel. So Joel's Joel's equipped, and he comes in, and he he says, hey, wake up. So that's the first thing. And then he goes through a whole bunch of... Uh, imperatives, things that he tells the people to do, right? Mm-hmm. And we could just read some of them, right? It's like, wake up, lament. Be dismayed. Be dismayed. That was really interesting, right? Farmers, like, they're, they're supposed to be looking around at their crops. Like, why aren't they dismayed? No, they're, they're numb. He's like, you need to get upset about this. This is not right. Be mm. dismayed. So feel, feel the pain. Feel, feel the, the grief. pain. Wail, cry. I mean, it's being instructed to cry. Like, really? Express it. Yeah. Express it, yeah. Um, put on sackcloth. So choose to grieve. So he's saying, don't just wait to grieve. When you get that sense, there is something wrong here. Pay attention to this. Enter into the grief. Mm. Move away from numbness. Come past the night in sackcloth. So upset is your sleep patterns. Don't choose comfort. Mm. This is more yeah. significant sackcloth than your comfort. Sackcloth, yeah. So sanctify a fast. Stop, stop, stop eating that food. Stop, stop with the fudge. Get off the couch Acknowledge that something's really wrong here and it needs your attention. 
call a solemn assembly and then he's just saying so sort of do this together yeah as do well. this together gather the elders hey guys something's wrong here we need to pay attention mm-hmm. cry out and then cry out to the lord so so move move your heart get your heart going start grieving and turn that into prayer together and he says alas for the day the lord is here mm-hmm. so it's but, very different isn't it it's moving from this place of really um, numbing passivity avoidance yeah. Yeah. to actually engaging with what's going on that's it expressing the pain and and crying out to god turning to god yeah and you can see right through these passages like reflections on the on, on the on the devastation reflecting on the devastation so joel keeps bringing them back to do you see what your where your lives are do you see what the do you, look at the disaster stare it in the face mm. and then recognize that something that he calls the day of the Lord like this. This thing, as you as you like, in terms of where he goes on later and says, describes that Lord at the head head of the army. He's interpreting what's going on. That's what the prophet's doing. There's pain, there's devastation, but the prophet's going. And this is how you to understand this. God is at work in this. Mm. God is at work in this. This is not just oh things happen, oh something's happened. Mm. So God is at work in this. And he's not saying that God is the cause or what, but he's saying God is using this right now. And that's the thing I think we can get hung up with, with suffering. It's like, oh, who did God cause this or didn't? Da, 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 da. And like, forget that. Don't worry about that. But acknowledge that God wants to use it right now. And what does he want to do? He's using it to call you back to him. Mm. Irrespective of what's going on, that's his purpose. God is always calling us back to him. Hmm. And and he will use the megaphone. Yeah. Yeah, C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. That's it. That's it. He will use something loud enough for actually us to actually hear. Yeah, and it shatters those illusions Mm. that what we have, that that all is well, and that what we have is our own and good and enough for us. So that yeah. Okay, and then then what does Joel? Yeah. So he says. So he says. Yeah. You see the intensity, like in chapter two, Joel kind of zooms in on the locust plague and really, guys, like guys, like look at this devastation. Um, And he says, in light of this, kind of blow a trumpet, right? Like, come on, get together. Understand that this is this is not a time for drunkenness. This is a time for sobriety, real mourning, real sobriety, and then finally. Finally, he says, yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from punishment. Now, what's so interesting here is that, so, so Joel is like calling them back. It's like, turn, turn back to God. Rend your hearts and note your garments. And I think there's a question here is like, well, what's the, what's the difference? Mm. What's the difference between rending your heart and rending your garments? Mm. And he's, you know, from, they, from how his description in terms of these prophecies, there's an indication that perhaps Joel was someone who worked in the temple. So he was someone really familiar with religious practice and stuff. He's like, no, no, God wants something different here. Um, when I was thinking about this, what's this difference? Um, a story came to mind or actually came to me, just kind of pen drop Bible reading this morning. And it was this story of these from two Kings three, which I won't, I don't have time to go into now, but it was two people responding to when things go wrong. And one of the Kings in the story was a religious kind of person, knew kind of, oh, God's out there somewhere. Things went wrong. His default was to blame God. 
And the other person, who, the other king had a relationship with God. And when things could do, went wrong, his default was to inquire of God. Mm. And I feel like that's part of that difference. When we're, when we're rending our clothes, we're kind of, okay, we need to play some sort of religious dance because God's sort of out there and somewhat vindictive. And I'll, okay, I'll do the... I'll do the whole repenting bit of, of, uh, you know, religious stuff and, and just to get me out of my particular predicament. Right. Mm. It's, it's all that is, is God as means to an end. Right. Mm. That's rending your, your garments. It's like trying to check enough boxes so that God, God lifts his boot off your neck, I guess, in that that Mm -hmm. sense. Um, But rending your heart is very different, isn't it? And rending your heart, I think uh, Joel gives us some really good intention, uh, good, good ideas of what that involves. And the first thing is that it's, it's cu- tied up with the character of God. Because straight after he says, rend your hearts and your clothing, not your clothing, he says, return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, he's riffing on that revelation that Moses received in Exodus 34. But what's really interesting is he changes it because he goes, and, rel- and relenting from punishment. That's not in the original one, but he's like, oh, no, you, do, you need to understand who God is. He's not, he's not just trying to punish you like that. Don't think that. God is merciful. Mm. God, and he, he loves you and he wants, to, he, he wants to bless you. Just come back to him. And then so he says, yeah, repentance that comes out of the heart comes out of the, the character of God. And then when you look down to verse 17, uh, he says, let the people say, spare your... Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. So what do they do? They remember their identity. The people have, they're now fully awake and they're remembering, oh, we're gods. And then he says, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? In there is their purpose. So they as a nation were called to be a light to the nations and they've remembered their purpose. And on the basis of of the character of God, they remember their identity, they remember their purpose, and they come to God as good. God, save us. Change us. That's what heartfelt repentance looks like. We're in to see, just seek to rend our garments. Often it's, it's out of that fear. It's, it's out of that idea that God is actually coercive and that what I'm being required to do, I have no real choice to do, but to again, to get this disaster to stop, I need to do something and so i'll submit to god because that's my means to getting out of the disaster right so it's sort of an outward mourning and outward saying sorry out of fear yeah and out of a okay i've got to do this because god's got all the power yeah but actually what a return a rending of our hearts is actually surrendering to god's love mm. it's it's giving ourselves again to god's love well i think and and that idea of um surrendering to his love you know whether if we're coming from a place of blame we're just going to do the the rend your rend your garments we're just going to do the the outward thing you know if we really think god's the bad guy in all of this that's what we'll do but if we can come from that place of inquiry that place of okay god what are you trying to say through your megaphone to me through this pain then that will actually enable us to to trust that this God is good mm. and that we can surrender our hearts to him and to his love. We can trust, we can trust him in this circumstance. Yeah. And then we can actually ask him, what is going on and what are you wanting to say to me?
and it leads us closer to God rather than being a wall that pushes us further away. Yeah, Lewis says, everyone has noticed how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well with us. We find God an interruption. And as St. Augustine says somewhere, God wants us, wants, this, is, this is just so good, God wants to give us something but cannot because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. Or as a friend of mine said, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. While what we call our own life remains agreeable, we will not surrender it to him. What then can God do in our interests but make our own life less agreeable to us and to take away the plausible sources of false happiness? It is just here where God's providence seems at first to be most cruel that the divine humility, the stooping down of the highest, most deserves praise. And that's, that's, in it. that's the, next, the nub of it there, isn't it? Those plausible sources of false happiness that actually what God was doing in Israel millennia ago was stripping them of plausible falses, sources of false happiness mm-hmm. such that they would return to their God, to their true identity, to their true purpose. And it's the same in our lives, right? God, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through recently. But it would be good, I think some questions to sort of think on, is where have I been able to resist the shattering impact of pain by reaching for the bottle? And the bottle being, you know, like it's, it's whatever... Um, whatever you've used to basically numb yourself as as the Israelites were doing to mm. the disaster that surrounds you. It can be, yeah, it can obviously be alcohol, it can be it can be food, it can be all manner of things, right? Mm. And in that sense, where have you wasted the like wasted the disaster? If we understand that God actually allows these things to actually wake us up, where have we missed the missed it by? neutralizing the impact of that disaster through numbing ourselves with, That's right. with whatever where, where it is. Where have we missed the good things that God actually wants yeah. to give us or bring into our lives? Simply because it's like, no, no, it's causing pain. I'm not going there. Because we've out. got so many different ways in our society, right, to shield us from pain, mm. to neutralize the impact of pain. Like yeah. so many on offer. Um, where have I done that? Where have I chosen things that have actually neutralized that pain? Because I haven't wanted to weep. I haven't wanted to wail. I haven't wanted to lament. Mm. I've just wanted to be okay. Mm. I think another great question is when things go wrong in life, do I blame God or yeah. do I inquire of God? Yes. And links to that is that question of have I viewed surrender to God as, um, you know, a coerced submission to his power or have I viewed surrender to God as surrendering my heart, my will, my independence to his yeah. love. Because I think when I, when I read this passage, and this we'll just finish with this, when I read this passage, I read Joel through, I was like, oh, this is the prodigal son. Mm. This is what the heartbeat of this story is. Mm. And this is, the, Israel is kind of like almost in the pig trough, you know. It's almost. I think it sounds like they are in they the, are pig, the trough. pig trough. But I think, I think they still go with the food, go, hmm, this is okay. <laughs> and and so, so, so Joel said to go, you're in the pig trough, wake up, mm. come back to the father. And that's what I hear. That's what I, I, I hear God's heartbeat in that, in, the, in this passage today. So maybe we pray mm. as a response to that.
Heavenly Father, we... Oh, these are big themes, really big themes. And pain is such a, a raw, hard, just intimidating thing to even contemplate, God. But I thank you that in the midst of it, in the midst of it, God, there's this truth that you long for our happiness and work for our happiness and that our happiness is found in returning to you. So God, help us to empty our hands of things that we're just holding so which stop us from receiving what you have. And God, help us just to open to your love again in a fresh way and surrender to you in a fresh way today. Yeah, Lord, I want to pray for each of us that where we're stuck in a rut of responding to you in a certain way in our pain, I ask that you would just help us to to get out of that and to come and inquire of you instead, mm. to not, mm. not numb the pain, to not blame, blame. lash out at you in anger and blame, but actually to come and ask you, what is going on, God, and what are you saying to me? And to, to get to that, that place of, of surrendering to your love. So, Father, we really ask for your, your Holy Spirit to give each one of us the, the courage and the trust in you that we need to be able to do that. Come, Holy Spirit. Just yeah, and I've, I just feel like just we're praying like there are people that are still anxious at God and his intentions and God's saying you can trust him. You can really trust him.